in the end, you have a couple of really smart, very creative people that have crazy ideas. They discuss based on whatever client briefing they get and come out with ideas. And it's like throughout the process, how can you measure if an idea is good or not? Throughout the process? Yeah, through after the process. How, how can you say that this is really, really a good advertising? Let's say a TV spot. How can you say it's a good TV spot? You go, maybe you're on a pitch, you come up with a crazy idea, and you know it's good, you have a gut feel. It's DeAndre here, and this is the Pioneers Show, the show where we talk with innovators, makers, entrepreneurs, basically people who are trailing their own trails and creating their own lives so that we all can learn how to work on our own lives. If this is your first time here, thank you for downloading and listening, and I appreciate you taking the time to hear this episode. Subscribe and enjoy listening to the Pioneers of today. And if you're a repeat listener, welcome back. This is episode 19, and I'm your host, Andre Albuquerque. You can find me at It's DeAndre on Twitter and on Instagram, as well as the show at Pioneers Show on Instagram as well. In this week's episode, we have with us Marcus Dutman. Marcus is the product and innovation lead at DCMN, the organizer of this incredible event that is going to be happening next week here in Berlin on the 25th, Scale 18, a conference for growth marketing innovators. There, you will be able to hear more about today's innovation and tomorrow's possibilities with marketing. Going back to Marcus, we talk about his past experience studying math and physics, jumping onto machine learning and AI, and then moving to the great world of marketing and advertising. I honestly love the conversation and I would like to thank DCMN for arranging this interview ahead of Scale 18. Without talking a lot more, let's jump into the conversation with Marcus Dutman. And here with us we have Marcus. Welcome. Welcome to the Pioneer Show. How are you? Hey Andrew, um, I'm, I'm pretty good today. You're Feeling good. good. For people at home who don't know who you are, care to give us a presentation about yourself? Well, I can give you a short one. Uh, my name is Mark Stutman. I um, currently drive product and innovation at DCMN. Um, weirdly, um, I got into the field of marketing. I'm actually a trained physicist, theoretical physicist even. I wanted to become a professor. But somehow, somehow I ended up in this field. I guess in the last year of my PhD, I got very interested in, in artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. It was 2011, 2012. It was pretty fresh, um, pretty new. And for a young physicist trying to do something great, it was the topic. It's very close to what we have done. And it is from a mathematical standpoint, one of the most uh, interesting topics still in, in the industry that, that I can think of. So artificial intelligence specifically? Artificial intelligence, yeah. I mean, the main idea is, um, if you think about it, if you're like a student, you have like an interest in mathematics and, um, well, you kind of like it. You like, you like sitting and calculating, programming a little bit, you know, um, there's not so many things that you can do that, uh, um, where you reach this high level of mathematics that you have in universities, right? You don't want to do like simple, I don't know. Um, uh, you don't want to do like simple, simple math all your life. You want to, you want to have be at a certain level. And this is where, uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence provides a really good way to make, make this useful and make, uh, cool working things, um, with mathematics. Okay, so let's start with the, the physics. You're actually not the first one that I have here in the Pioneer Show that comes from a physics or a theoretical physics background and now is doing something entirely different. I can share with you that the fifth person that I've had on the show called Marcin, shout out to Marcin, uh, he, he was studying management at one point and then he changed into physics and at one point he was developing algorithms for 
theoretical econ- econophysics. Oh, okay. Yeah, I have been doing a bit of that uh, as well. It's quite fun. Yeah, I, I, he said exactly the same thing. It's quite fun, and I and I always try to understand what's what's the connection. And from you, I'll, I'll, what I'll ask is why or how did you come up with the the idea of or why did you want to go into physics? Was it something that you always wanted to do when you were in college or in school? What what made you be interested in physics specifically? Um, you know, like these interests, they, they kind of start as a kid. I was pretty good at math. And for me, it's like, I have a pretty difficult time concentrating. I'm, I'm quite a nervous character, but with mathematics, I have like, it's kind of meditation for me. It always was. I can really focus pretty well. And I always liked it. It was always easy for me. And I actually wanted to study mathematics. Um, so I went to, uh, University of Oldenburg and there was a, like the math day and, um, there were a couple of people telling like how they became something, something, uh, after studying math. And the first one was like a woman, she was an IT manager somewhere and it was boring as hell what she told. And then there was another guy who was insurance mathematician calculating, um, like random things when people will die. And it also didn't sound very attractive to me back in the day. So I started reading up, uh, what I can do, uh, what, what is similar to mathematics, but not mathematics. I, I mean, I was very inexperienced back in the days. So I read a lot about, uh, popular science, uh, of physics, of string theory, all that kind of stuff. And so I decided to go into physics and there I was more on the mathematic heavy side, which I do love, I still do love it, but, uh, it was exactly the right decision. Studying physics is awesome. It's super interesting and it really, really teaches you a lot. What, when we say, uh, experimental or theoretical, sorry, could you repeat that? Is it experimental physics or theoretical? No, I was uh, theoretical physics. Theoretical so. physics. So what, what is the application? Is there any application to the day-to-day world that we see in theoretical physics or is just theorizing about specific things that you can do in the future? What's the the basis? Um, Well, I mean, I have worked in in different areas. Um, So the first time I really worked in a research group was uh, statistical physics. It was about um, very, very... Uh, researchy, let's, let's put it. Um, it was about, um, I mean, you can actually, uh, catch ions in like a laser trap. Like it's really like a, like you would, um, imagine it. You have a joystick and you can catch something, move it around. And in the application I was calculating is how the, when there's like a distortion in the field, this laser trap changes. It was like very mathematical and not very useful. <laughs> for people outside of science, you know, some people use it, but it's very, very abstract. Later in my PhD, I was, uh, worked on, um, on protein dynamics, uh, simulation. We were developing mathematical models that were, um, investigating how proteins use energy to move, to do things. Um, and this is something that will be applicable, um, not now, but in five to 10 years, we will probably have, um, have medicine where we manipulate proteins that bring medicine right uh, into the cell at the right position. So this is something very uh, close to the future that we can, we can actually use it. So there's like different, different fields, different levels of applications that you see when you, when you work in this field. 
I think that's very interesting. And, and I think that I always found physics very interesting, even though I went in, in school, I decided to go away from mathematics because I thought I wanted to. What a pity. I, I believe me, it's something that I every day think about. I should have went to mathematics because I remember that in, in my school, the teachers gave the opportunity for the fourth graders to check the fifth graders class. And that's when you get to science and go into a more specific and only three students in like seven years chose math. And it's me and two friends. Mm. And on the ninth grade, I thought I want to be an actor. So I went to a more linguistic approach to eventually go into an actor. And as you can see right now, I'm not being an actor. <laughs> and I, every day I, I, I say that I should have went to mathematics because it's such an interesting field. And you can see math in everywhere. That's why I always found fascinating. But when you go to physics, I never thought of physics as something, even though it's applicable because everything is physics and everything is math. I never saw physics as something that you can see in the real world and even though like you said there's something there of probably it's interesting for the scientists in the area right now probably there's no application but one of the things that i would ask you is for example i think it's uh, elon musk that says that one of the things that he was very interested in was physics in the beginning and then he creates the first principles to solve any problem do you think that for your side now that you're working in product and innovation and went into marketing that using some kind of first principle background on physics and theoretical physics that gives you an advantage nowadays? Um, I don't exactly know what, what first principle approach you're talking about, but definitely uh, physics will train you very well in problem solving. Um, so one, one very practical um, application of problem solving, like how, how physicists would do that. Let's assume we have a super complicated problem, mm -hmm. you know, and we, we look at it and we don't understand it. it's almost like, you know, it's impossible to get there in a straightforward way. Mm -hmm. This are uh, problems that as a physicist you would see on a daily basis. This is what you're working on and this is what you're trained to solve. So how you do it in physics, and this is something that has been very, very successful for me in real, real life, uh, let's call it marketing real life, um, is that you just throw away all the complications in the first step. You look at a super simple, simplified um, model problem, let's call it. Mm -hmm. And these models problems, they're usually very easy to solve. And then you have a solution for the uh, model problem. You sort your, your, your problems and you take one problem after the other included in the model. And you will find that most of the problems you saw in the beginning are already solved by you solving the simplified model problems. The other ones are very easy to integrate and there will be some that you cannot solve with the strategy. Mm -hmm. But usually in a business context, you're already good enough and you can just ignore them. They are out of the scope of your, your, um, your problem. And this is like a very powerful um, and very simple strategy of, of problem solving that, that I have learned over the years that I have like forced in my head. But uh, the first pr principle approach, if you can tell me a bit more, maybe sure. I can... Uh, the first principle <laughs> approach is where you look at a situation and strip it down to the first principle of the mm. idea. Let's take electric cars. The first principle would be how to would be look at electric cars and try to find the solution from the ground up, build something without any preconception besides the initial model. Let's build an electric vehicle. You can create something different from you see every day. Therefore, you can have something truly disruptive or innovative. Okay, yeah. It sounds actually very similar, right? You focus mm, on yeah. the simple things first and build up on that. Yeah, I like the approach already. <laughs> One of the things that, that you, you mentioned, and, and tell me if you agree, is that clearly there's something there is that even if you didn't have any marketing skills, 
you clearly had a very powerful developed soft slash transferable skill, something that you can apply either to marketing, to construction, to anything in the world, probably. Uh, yeah, most definitely. And I, I think, um, fortunately for me, um, these become more important. Everybody's changing jobs, changing industries, doing something completely different, transferable skills. I, yeah, well, will become more and more important. And for me, having changed my, the things I do several times already, um, this comes very natural and I don't know if this has to do with physics, but, uh, yeah, it's quite an advantage, I would say. I mean, there's some flexibility there, but probably the physics in me or the physics background might have given you some flexibility of thought, at least you, since from what I understand, you were, you were told or you were told from the very beginning to address a specific situation from the very basis. Therefore you're challenging, let's say like people say the status quo. If you come or your background design into thinking like that, it gives you an advantage regarding today where people are just told to think a certain way and not challenge anything. That is true. And actually, um, when I came to university day one, we had a little, uh, propaganda, um, lecture. So it was an elderly dude, uh, he didn't become quite a professor. He was like some uh, private docent, that's called, uh, what he's called in German. Um, and he was telling us, you guys, you physicists, you can do everything. You will be amazing. And I believed it for a while. Um, until I found out that every, whatever you study in every country in the world, in every university, people will tell you that. Um, but I still do say, uh, that physics, so kids, if you want to study something, study physics. It's very cool. Um, so physics really prepares you to do a lot of things because you are not, um, you, you don't attach to like a system. You, you, you are trained to, to understand every system and see, um, see parallels between systems and, and solve problems within the framework that you're in. So good skill to have now moving a little bit more into the artificial intelligence world so mm -hmm. just just understand you were became very interested in the artificial intelligence because of mathematics there's not is there any correlation in today's age between physics and ai um besides the mathematics background let's say you know um it's uh, um ai or machine learning i use these terms interchangeably they're the same thing for me, they are the same thing. I mean, there might be in some literature subtle differences, but, um, I don't, uh, I don't think it's any different. It's just, uh, depending on the time you're in, you use one of, one of the two terms. Um, I personally think that, um, mathematics and physics relate to statistics and uh, machine learning. So it's like, well, putting it differently, like this uh, is kind of an analogy. Um, as a physicist, you're pragmatic. You have a problem, you want to solve it. You you are not uh, looking for exact and 100% correct solution. You are looking for solutions that are good enough. In machine learning, it's the same. You have a problem. Uh, you may have like some way of measuring success or measuring what good is and you try to to um get as good as you possibly can and uh therefore i i see physics and machine learning very like apart from mathematical from a mindset they are very very strongly related 
That's why also you have so many physicists going into uh, artificial intelligence. But okay, but do you think that's just because of the pragmatism inherent to it, or why do you? Because of, and this is my own preconception of the, the the level. I've talked with a lot of people on AI, and some of the questions I'll have to ask you eventually, but. The idea that artificial intelligence, you have a lot of physicians, or no, physicists, physicians, doctor, physicists that come into it with just a physics background. And this is another preconception that because you go to do one thing, you cannot jump onto the other one. But they seem to be, even though they're in the same realm of mathematics, they seem to be so many kingdoms apart that I don't, I don't see the correlation in why one would do the other Decide. I don't know. I don't know if I'm making myself understood. Um, I read a book um, which was uh, it's called uh, The Logic of Science by I think it's a British guy, James. Might be an American. I don't know exactly. It's an amazing book. It's the Logic of Science. The Logic of Science. It's a physicist that um, develops statistics from physics principles. And uh, after I read this, uh, this opened my eyes personally. Here we are back at a mathematical level. Um, for like, you have certain, um, you have like two different realms that speak two different languages, but many of the core concepts are the same. In physics, you're optimizing energy. You, you, you look for minimizing the energy in, in machine learning. You look for things like optimizing, minimizing the cost function, um, maximizing the, the profit, whatever, whatever you have in your target, um, as your target function. And these, this, from a concept, you have a simple optimization problem. One time in physics, one time in machine learning. And if you really boil it down, it, the, the way of approaching these problems is, is extremely similar. Okay, like like we're saying, going through a pragmatic route and trying to. Hmm. I'm very interested about this because I never would have imagined. Like I said, that there's clearly some misconception here or some preconception, but I didn't think there were many similarities. Probably because of the way that I heard about machine learning, and when and I would like to touch up on something that you just said is that for you, artificial intelligence and machine learning are almost synonyms. Um, yes. In terms of application, at least. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, I understand them in the way I just described as pragmatic ways of solving a problem based on maybe historic data. Um, and that's machine learning and artificial intelligence. Yes. I mean, then there's like more, you, you can look more in detail. There's like deep learning, which, uh, nowadays, um, is, is considered artificial intelligence. This was what this, uh, Google, uh, Go playing algorithm uses. And this is what like most people use nowadays. Um, so, I mean, that's a, for me as a guy like who's mathematically focused, this is just one, um, strategy of many that all, uh, that all are in the big field of machine learning or artificial intelligence. I don't also don't think it makes too much sense to focus on like the, the naming because, uh, I have the feeling that machine learning, um, that was a term I used when I, I got into this field. It's not very fashionable anymore. AI is a bit more sexy. Funny thing that you mentioned, uh, I've had this conversation with another artificial intelligence professional. And one of the things that I found a couple of weeks ago was a tweet by a guy that's saying, 
if you want to raise money, you say machine learning. If you want to hire uh, developers, you say uh, data science. If you want to talk to media, you say artificial intelligence. Yeah. Which is kind of all in the same camp, but you need to target different people that can say and sell their own data and say, hey, I'm a data scientist. Oh, very well. Very well for you. Oh, I'm doing machine learning. Oh, here's my money and artificial intelligence. The people will say, you must be smart. You must be very smart. Yeah, you should just know where, where to use what term. Um, but I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert here, so I'm just mm -hmm. thinking out loud, right? So, um, what I have been thinking about a lot is, um, what we call here augmented creativity, um, machine learning to make, uh, humans more creative in some way, as opposed to maybe artificial intelligence, which we see nowadays as, um, some algorithms that automate tasks that uh, humans would do otherwise. So maybe there is a difference. I don't know. After this, um, after this conversation, we probably have to both uh, Google it and figure figure this out. Um, My okay. So from conversations that I've had, I, what I seem to assume is that artificial intelligence is only possible through the machine learning algorithms that come before. Artificial intelligence, from what I understand, it's the actions that come from the data sets and the data interpretation from the machine learning and all the algorithms. So it's, I wouldn't say personally that they are the same thing. I just seem that one cannot exist without the other and one does not make sense just because you're interpreting data if you don't have any action that comes or precedes it. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So, and now that we, you already mentioned that we do here and here, we are in the DCMN offices where, which are very, very different from what I'm used to in terms of the agency and marketing side. Before we go on to this, I would like to ask you, so you, you went to from physics, physics, theoretical physicist to data science and all those things. And at one point you just, you moved to marketing. And from what I researched, you are a co-founder of a startup mm -hmm. that did real time advertising. Exactly. Why? Why, first of all, why would you go from data science, a very profitable field into marketing, which usually it's a, usually it's a race to the bottom in terms of pricing when we're talking about a small business at least. Uh, yeah. Okay. Why, um, why would you? so I, um, I mean, in the end, it's like your, um, your, um, career is kind of shaped by the people you meet. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, um, started in the last year of my PhD, I um, figured that I want to want to learn more about this field of machine learning. Mm -hmm. Because also in the end, I had I thought like, okay, PhD, now this is done. Um, so I need a new thing. So I want to do a startup, like, but it's not, not something boring. I want to do something smart, something like with machine learning, with AI. <laughs> and uh, so I figured mm -hmm. that As some guy from, from university, I cannot just start a company. You know, we are not in, in Silicon Valley and the Fritz Haber Institute I was is not Stanford. So, um, I figured I have to learn something first. So, uh, back in the days, um, Zalando was hiring, um, they were, they was hiring big times. They were, were hiring a lot of, uh, data scientists back in the day, still called quantitative analysts because banking was still fashionable. 
Zalando, you said banking was still fashionable. So yeah, that's why they got the term a quantitative analyst from, I think, uh, because Andreas, the guy who, who led the team, um, is now the managing director of Zalando Media Solutions. Uh, he found quantitative analyst quite nice as a job title. Later, everyone was called data scientists, you know, that's how the naming changed. And, uh, well, I went to Zalando and, uh, for some reason I, um, found myself in a position where I was suddenly, uh, being kind of consultant to the marketing departments at Zalando. They were asking me, Hey, do we have this, uh, SEO algorithm? Does it work for us? Hey, we have to optimize this, um, display campaigns. Can you help us with making some tra strategies? And so I found myself without any, any further plan sucked into, um, into this whole, um, yeah, marketing world. And, um, well, there I, I, I got to know a lot of smart people mm -hmm. at Zalando. They really knew. Uh, what, what they were doing. And, um, so I, without ever planning it, I became an expert in marketing technology. And this led later, uh, then to, uh, founding Realside, a programmatic advertising, um, tech company with, with two other physicists, actually. Um, yeah. And that's where we are now. It's, it got sold, um, two years ago. Congratulations. To, uh, to DC men. And, uh, uh, Christian, who's not a CTO here, Heiko, who's, um, heavily involved in the data science work, um, here. Um, yeah, we are very happy to be at this. So just to, to understand, was it more of an aqua hire? Was it an acquisition and then they poached you? What was the? Well, we got acquired by DC men and definitely we are very valuable employees, but, um, we are, um, pushing the technology still forward and we love it here. It's great. DC men. So for people at home who don't know what programmatic is, what's the best way of describing it? Well, I mean, um, what we all think we know is uh, trading at a stock market, right? Some goods are offered and other people uh, virtually buy it. Um, and the same thing um, happens for ad space. If you, if an app, if a web page opens and you see like a little advertising there, a lot of things are happening. The web page asks some at exchange, for example, Google, um, to, to fill the ad spot with, with advertising. Mm -hmm. Google will ask its partners, uh, this, we would be one of the partners, companies that, uh, have, um, strategies of buying media after some goals. And we would figure out, okay, um, we're willing to pay so much for this advertising. If, if it's shown to the user, we send it back to Google. Uh, Google takes it, sends it to the ad. This is all happening in hundred milliseconds. And this is like, it's quite interesting. Actually, um, you are kind of saying marketing is not so interesting. So I, um, no, no, I come from a marketing background. Uh, what I'm saying is that usually when people come from a physics background or even come from a different area from area from marketing, for example, I am very passionate for marketing because of the storytelling side. Mm -hmm. I always found it fascinating that Apple was able to get people so blindly passionate about products without even saying anything sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I went to marketing because of that. But people that come from a tech background usually go to marketing because of the, the interesting things, analytics, how to think strategically or in a mathematical level. But when we think about it, marketing at the end of the day, it's a race to the bottom in terms of pricing usually because unless you're dealing with big, huge clients, 
when we're talking about mom and mom, mom and pop shops, usually it's a race to the bottom of who gets the lowest prices. Mm, yeah, uh, it might be true. Um, but I'll tell you the good thing about it. You, you must imagine there are three physicists. They are like, uh, well, we were like around 30 then. One, uh, Christian, um, was a bit more of an, um, like experienced entrepreneur. He had already founded, I think, three companies and he was very driven and very, very, uh, what, like a, a developer. Like he's, in his heart, he's a software developer. And, uh, Heiko and I, we were like super mathematical, like up there in the clouds, like, doing wanting to do like really nice formulas and, and calculate things analytically and stuff like this we were sitting there having a beer at the balcony of christian's apartment and we were like thinking okay what what do we want to do like we want to do like find a company but, but what what about and christian was like okay it needs to be like high tech it needs to be super complicated we need high performance computing and so on and Heiko and I were more on the side were like, yeah, it needs to be like, we need to definitely do machine learning. It needs to be smart. And, um, in this programmatic advertising, this trading with ad spaces, uh, we actually found exactly this. It's an extremely complicated, um, technical infrastructure mm -hmm. that you need, but also you collect a lot of data and uh, make smart decision based on this. So for us, it's actually like a perfect mix uh, between like uh, what we wanted. And so this is exactly how we ended up here. Interesting. So in, then you got acquired and now you're working at DCMN. Yes, exactly. Let's talk now specifically about DCMN. What is it? You know, basically we, we will help our, our clients to grow in, in multiple ways. We, we do this by media buying, but we also do this by creation and production. We are present in TV advertising. We do radio advertising. We do digital advertising. We do, uh, strategy consultancy to, to companies. We do workshop where we train startups to do marketing. So we are basically doing everything to help, uh, companies grow. It's that are almost like an agency slash consultancy company within the digital communication space. Is that it? Well, it's not only digital. I mean, it's, I mean, linear TV advertising. This is communication space. Then let's take out the digital. Yeah. Why not? Okay. And you lead the product and, um, innovation here at DCMN. And you mentioned something a couple of minutes ago about mm -hmm. AI for, for, to help creation and help, uh, creativity, correct? Uh, yes, exactly. So, um, the main idea is, we try to use machine learning for everything and companies that are really good in automation and machine learning and provide a real value, they are immensely successful. And, but they are also everywhere. Like companies like Google and Facebook, they've taken over the digital world like crazily, you know? And, um, we have been thinking, I mean, we, we love the topic. We love machine learning. We love it from a philosophical standpoint and, we were wondering actually, like, how can we bring this efficiency that we know from, from, for example, media buying, uh, how can we bring this to the creation process? Why did this process not change in the last, I don't know, 30 years? Um, and it's very difficult. It's a, it's a very, very difficult process. It's very difficult to measure what actually happens. 
So in the end, you have um, a couple of really smart, uh, very creative people that have crazy ideas, and they they discuss based on whatever client briefing they get and come out with ideas. And it's like throughout the process, how can you measure if an idea is good or not? Throughout the process? Yeah, through after the process. How, how can you say that this is really, really a good advertising? Let's say a TV spot. How can you say it's a good TV spot? You go, um, maybe you're on a pitch, you come up with a crazy idea and you know it's good. You have a gut feeling and you show it to... Uh, To, to the client, to the client. Yeah. and the client doesn't like it. How do you convince them that this is a good idea? This is impossible. It's very, very difficult to measure. The only way of measuring this, and this is done by um, by more traditional uh, agencies, and also uh, we we offer this as well. Of course, is some um, spot testing, maybe like some A/B testing. Is this spot better than the other? And uh, questionnaires, trying test groups, trying. Exactly. But that's, I mean, it's expensive. Uh, it's takes long. It's sometimes not clear what comes out of this. So we were like wondering about this, like, how can we make this measurable? What can we do? How can we automate things? How can we um, use technology to make this process better? And this is where we are right now. So in how, okay, you're in the, this process, but how do you think, Okay, well, let me let me try and put myself in that situation. So, mm -hmm. is the idea that you can, as the ideas come up, you put it into a test valve that it creates like it probably or the possibility of this working is sixty five percent. Is it something like that? What kind of when is the AI applicable? Because is it something that just randomizes words and then gives people ideas from that? Those words does it create a full blown idea? Where are we in this AI for creation? Well, I mean, um, when you uh, read through uh, marketing blogs or marketing magazines, mm -hmm. you every once in a while you find some interesting article. Crea uh, creative agency XY has um, written a TV spot with AI and then you see a video of some random people saying uh, incoherent sentences And, um, it's like, whoa, this is, this is it. This is like, wow, AI written spot. And everybody thinks, hmm, yeah, nice marketing stunt. Uh, good. Let's close the magazine and let's go home. But Creative XY is amazing. They do great stuff. And we have read these things and we thought, wow, that would be, if you really could do this, if you really could from scratch write a TV spot, full, the full thing, it tells you who is in there, how they look, what they do would be amazing. You know, You um, need to be a bit of a megalomaniac when you, when you think about these things. Mm -hmm. We very quickly found out in the discussions. I mean, we we discussed this with the uh, with the creative department. We had um, uh, a couple of, of mathematically affine guys here, um, and we we quickly found out that this is probably not easy. It's very difficult. It's a lot of resources. We don't know what gets out of there, and we found out that being creative is actually not the biggest problem. Our guys who sit one story above us, they have one great idea after the other. The problem they have is um, not to generate these ideas. The problem they have is to convince the client that these convince the client clients that these ideas are good. 
And so this is what we focused on then. So, um, and this is why we speak from augmented creativity. We, uh, let people be creative, but we want to, uh, automatically, uh, validate their ideas and say, well, this might be, uh, according to your target group, uh, we use, I don't know, this character because, and, um, that's a much smaller problem. It's not as big as writing the whole thing. But it will eventually be one small part in a large process where we try to automate and support uh, every step that we can. So the artificial intelligence here is more of a support, like you said. Yes. You have the creatives that create the idea, yeah. and then you have like an ongoing validation tool. But what's the percentage of that it gets? Right. I mean, uh, I mean, there's no right or wrong. Usually, there is no right or wrong, and uh, to be honest, this is something we are working on. Uh, we are still testing. We're still tweaking. Um, it shows interesting results, but it's not something that we present to the public yet. Um, uh, and we have to see if it's used. I mean, that's basically in the end. Um, it needs to be used by our creative team. It needs to be accepted by the client. And once we have reached this, we will uh, bring this out to the public and can also hopefully have like a successful case study with numbers. Um, but we are not there yet. This is, uh, this is, uh, very complicated things that, that we are trying to build, that we are trying to tackle. And this is more like a very long project. And do you think that this, the idea for this project specifically, is it to only, only be used internally by DCMN or is it the idea to eventually license it and sell it to another agency? I mean, um, what we want to do is, is very, like in, in a general uh, thing, we want to, um, we want to help our clients grow. And the easiest way to help them grow is to enable them to do so. And so everything that we build uh, is with our clients in mind. So we do not think about building tools for other agencies or, um, or whatever. Yeah. What we will actually do later, um, this depends how, how we can enter the market, um, who will use this tool, how they will use it. And, um, yeah. And what exactly we are doing. As I said, this is still in research. Um, we, We'll figure it. these questions. We'll figure out later. <laughs> no, I'm I'm just asking this because that can act. I mean, I don't want to meddle in your business at any point. I'm just I'm just wondering. Any tip? That, any tip? We're I, open. <laughs> I, I, I'm just thinking that if this actually grows inside, so you're building this, and inside the CMN, you're seeing very positive things. Then you start to, to toy around with something that might be next to your realm, but not necessarily competition. And you see that that's applicable to a different industry. So you're working with comp with non-direct competition, but it's seen that there's value mm -hmm. there. And even with their feedback, you can iterate and build something even better because you only saw your application for your own use case. Sorry. And eventually you can have a very, very solid product that can be valuable on a larger scale. And you... I don't know. I don't know. I don't want again. I, once again, I don't want to meddle in your business. I'm just thinking because artificial intelligence is something that I find it really interesting. I don't know where artificial intelligence will, will grow to. Um, but I think that if you're able to, uh, when we were saying automizing, it's, I think you said it best. It's augmenting creativity. It's not necessarily replacing it because 
if you were replacing creativity, I would run out of here scared out of my mind. Yeah. People still say that, even Jack Ma from Alibaba says that you won't be able to compete with computers. So you have to be creative. You have to work on other things. Now, if you're telling me that a computer can be creative, I don't see why I should still be leaving because that's scary as fuck. So what, what I was saying is that if you're able to augment creativity, you can apply that to different businesses, different industries, different use cases. And can and that can only can also be a very profitable if it works, of course, very profitable other side source of income for even DCMN. I mean, that would be a dream scenario. And I think everyone at DCMN would be more than happy to expand uh, such a thing into uh, different verticals. Um, however, thinking about this at this stage, right, it's, it's, my it's opinion is a bit early, but um, yeah, why not? Um, for us, the, um, I mean, this is more like a proof of concept of uh, thing. And, uh, what we are currently, we try to identify where we could support, uh, the creative process with technology, where we could best and most efficiently augment the cre creativity of our, uh, creation department. Um, and this might be what I just explained. Mm -hmm. This is something that, it's not going to make sense. um, but it might also be something different. It might be multiple things. Um, we'll see. And t touching up on that, when you wh what do you mean by creation here? In what kind of application is that? Does it read text and understand what you're giving it in terms of uh, if, if information and data? Do you also give it storyboards? Do you give it some design things? What no, kind of data do you give it? You know, um, the the simplest is to to stick um, to things that are already pretty well researched and build upon them. And pretty well researched are two uh, two things: it's uh, image recognition and uh, text recognition. And these are like two the two basics of um, of our uh, of our tool and of our ideas and. Um, most successful at the moment we are with approaches from text recognition where we um, compare texts that we have automatically created mm -hmm. with um, target group affinities and interests that we pass um, from blogs and, and YouTube videos and, and whatever mm -hmm. so okay okay well I've got to say that if once again, if that comes to fruition or fruition, I think that you have a very, very, very interesting product there. And, and congratulations, I think it's it's remarkable. And using artificial intelligence in a different way, in a, in an area that I never thought I would see so close. I mean, I've worked in the programmatic area. I know the milliseconds, microseconds, going for the best solution on the cheapest price for the buyer. But I never thought of using artificial artificial intelligence even before that. Yeah, it's like for buying the, the content by using artificial intelligence during the creation of the content itself. Yeah, what I um, what I have to say it's like uh, for me as as a person interested in su such topics from a um, from afar, I read about them, I like them. It is just amazing to be able and to have the support of a company like DCMN to be able to to work in such an interesting field. I, I do not know uh, where else we would have this, this opportunity. And um, that is great. So, I mean, that's why why everybody here is like highly motivated and happy that we can we can 
tackle what we consider one of the biggest questions and biggest problems uh, currently in in marketing. Let's put it. Uh, I've got to say that it's not very easy to leave me speechless. I'm someone who likes to talk, and the the, the possibilities that I can vi- envision here, just doing on top, is I think that the possibilities are endless. And congratulations there. I think that you have a very interesting idea. I have one question for you now, still on artificial intelligence, but not applicable to DCMN specifically. Mm-hmm. Regarding artificial intelligence, in which camp are you? Zuckerberg or Elon Musk? Um, well, I mean, both characters are a bit difficult. I think uh, from, from ideas and from a philosophical standpoint, I would be like, I feel a bit closer to Elon Musk. Because so do you think that artificial intelligence will eventually be able to bring our destruction of the human race? Ah, okay. Well, about uh, this, okay. Um, no, I don't think so. Um, there's always a bit fear about new things and always, there's always fear about very drastic changes. Um, but in the end, um, I think it's very hard to measure, um, things like artificial, uh, intelligence with, uh, human standards, human, um, ethics. And I do currently don't, um, don't see like this evil intelligent thing that we are used to from, um, from movies. Like this is kind of a very dystopian, uh, idea of the future that I I cannot believe in. I'm, I'm maybe maybe I'm too optimistic for this. However, I'm though not with Mark Zuckerberg because I really don't like how he treats the data of its users. So don't put me in the Zuckerberg camp. <laughs> well, well, the, the main thing for me is that objectively speaking, we can assume that the human race is kind of a virus for the for planet Earth. Correct or burning resources faster than we can put them back and we actively kill more species than any other species before there's actually a trend that the the longer the human stays at one place the the faster it kills native species what can you consider nowadays native species i don't know but there there's actually a graph that correlates that if you start creating artificial intelligence to admit, let's say agriculture and you have give them permission to kill what it's killing on the crops, an argument can be made that a machine can say this person is fucking up the crops. So this person must be eliminated. And from that point onto another point, it's not that jump, up, that big a jump. Does that make sense? I know. I know. I understand where you're going now. Because it's logic. Yeah. Whether we like it or not, Human people are scumbags. We are. We are. We build stuff. We kill kill each other. We are not the best thing ever created. Not not even the most intelligent one. So what you uh, let's try to to uh, translate this for me. What you're saying is, uh, if you put a kind of optimization function into um, an algorithm or a, mm. an intelligent machine, uh, it might contra- This optimization might contradict to. Uh, leaving humans alive and eventually when uh, when there's like a some security mechanism not working mm-hmm. this will lead to the machines taking over I this is like the argument you uh, i think that it's 
it's not reasonable not to think about it at least because I think that it's it's so far ahead right now that it's our it's hard to even muster the the energy to think about it. But if we think about what was the world 15 years ago, 15 years ago we didn't have Facebook yet. Nowadays we have drones in uh, hot air balloons giving Wi-Fi to villages in Africa. The, the the technology space is growing up so rapidly, so fast that we don't know how hard things will change and how whirly and twisty things will mm-hmm. be. And the the, the 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 argument that I'm making here and talking with you necessarily, I'm not saying that it's like a devil's advocate here. I don't know where I'm I'm standing, but objectively speaking, even when we talk about algorithms protecting people, whoever writes the algorithm as inherits preconceptions and things that he or she might think about one specific area and he or she might give more weight into one specific thing rather than the other. Well, um, I'm, I'm not sure if this will end in this very drastic way that, um, that people have in mind in their, in the darkest fear. But, um, I agree with you on, on some, to some extent. Um, when we, Uh, trust algorithms like deep learning algorithms to drive our cars or, or do anything. Um, we have to be aware that these algorithms have in a controlled environment shown, I don't know, some, some behavior, mm-hmm. but there are no simple rules, uh, that we can extract from, from the code, from the algorithms that will, um, help us foresee what will happen in every situation. This is just the, the mathematics in between is too complicated, too nonlinear for us to predict every situation based on the, on the algorithm. And that's a bit difficult. So we are moving away from a world where in principle we can understand everything because everything is under well-defined rules to a world where we stop being able to understand everything, at least what we build, because the things we build are so complex that it may be mathematically impossible to understand all implications. And that is, that is kind of worrying. Um, and I am not fully sure how to tackle this. I guess nobody is. Um, and this is a topic that definitely needs to be discussed. And I am actually, I'm pretty sure something will happen much earlier than, um, than Uh, before we have a machine killing humans because they they uh, are against the environment. Um, when you say so drop, when you say something, what do you mean by something here? Uh, wait, what did I say? Something. You said something will happen much earlier. Ah, yes, something will happen much earlier. Um, I was going to say that um, the when autonomous cars will enter the roads, the uh, um, lawmakers and politicians and uh, judges and philosophers and everyone has to go back to the drawing board together and uh, figure out the scenario and see what is the best thing to do. If How autonomous car runs over a person who's yeah. to blame. Exactly. And these um, problems, solving these problems, these smaller problems will lead us eventually to a uh, um, to larger solution, how we can deal with artificial intelligence. And this is something we have to tackle in the next 10 years. Um, so, um, I think we will, we will be forced to find a solution to uh, how to deal with artificial intelligence and machines that may be even smarter for some use cases than humans, um, in the next years. Yeah. I love technology. 
<laughs> okay, I would like to ask you a couple more questions before we enter the interview. So, first of all, uh, we're now going to do some rapid fire questions. Do you, rapid fire questions are really simple. I'll ask you one question and then you have less than one minute to answer. Okay. okay, all right. Tell me one book that, have, that has impacted your life the most. The most? This is very difficult. Um, I cannot answer this because I would have to uh, think a bit longer. What I've been, what I've been reading recently is, uh, competing against luck from Christensen. It's some way, uh, some framework. Yes, exactly. It's a framework of uh, how to be innovative and it's extremely simple. It's an easy read and every page you think, hmm, he's right. And, uh, that's something that helped me judge what I'm doing in my work. So. That's a good book. It's not what changed my life, but it changed me in the last couple of months. Since you mentioned the last couple of months, tell me something that has changed your opinion in the last six months. Oh, uh, that is an interesting question. I was not prepared for this. I do not have a proper answer to this. What's, what has changed my uh, opinion a lot is... Um, We have changed, GCMM, we've changed completely our uh, way of structuring the company. We have uh, got rid of all hierarchies and we have a completely new way of how teams work together. Before this, I had a certain assumption about people, how they work in teams, how you have to organize a team. Um, this definitely changed my perception uh, of, of how people work together and how people act in their roles. So before we say goodbye, I'd like to ask a couple more questions. First of all, where can people find more about you and get in touch with you? Well, um, I guess I'm Googleable. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, but uh, the good thing is October 25th is coming in. Um, it's a scale conference. It's a, a gross marketing conference with really amazing topics. It's about the future of marketing, the future of work, ad tech, and There is also something with ICOs, um, and I will give a speech there about how I'll see uh, our job in marketing changing in the next 20 years. So it might be interesting for you. Um, so for someone out there who's here in Berlin or is planning to come here to Berlin, 25th of October, correct? Yes. The whole day, uh, scale18.co, correct? Mm -hmm. Scale18.co, you'll be able to, to talk with me, talk with Marcus, of course. Uh, you're Googleable, of course, you already mentioned, and everything will be written here on the show notes. One last thing, uh, can you want to give a little bit more of a glimpse of what you're going to be talking during your talk? Well, um, I have been thinking a lot about how the world of advertising has been changing in the last 20 years. It has been crazy. Google opened its doors September 20 years ago. So many things have changed. And I thought about what will happen in the next 20 years and preparing for this talk I found that uh, small changes that are not so impressive now that we already expect uh, clumped together provide already a very very uh, good image of what will happen and uh, these are automation AI and I will also talk about augmented creativity a bit how they play together and how they will change our job So th that's my topic. Um, yeah. Well, it was a pleasure having you here on the Pioneers Show. And just a call out for everyone who's listening to this episode. If you are in Berlin, please stop by. It's going to be a great event. And I can't wait to, to have you people listen to Marcus here. <laughs> Thank you for being here on the Pioneers Show. Awesome. Thanks. It was fun. 
Thank you so much for plugging into this episode. I truly hope you love this conversation as much as I did. Marcus is hella smart and I really enjoyed our conversation. The very, very nice people at DCMN were kind enough to provide us with a 20% discount to the event with the promo code PIONEERSX SCALE18. Once again, P-I-O-N-E-E-R-S-X-S-C-A-L-E-18. You can find this and any other information that you might have missed on the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider subscribing to make sure that this podcast grows. We can get some more people and help everyone be the pioneers of their lives and careers. Also, if there's any feedback that you might have for me, reach out on social media. A big thank you for Marcus for his time and for Christian for arranging this great conversation. And to Tibo Flonlin, aka DJ Rodia, for the new music of the Pioneers show. It was great having you over there. Have a great time. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.